Well, good morning. For those who don't know me, I'm Bruce Drugsma. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Wyzetta Free Church. It is my pleasure to be here this morning with you to share from God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bible, we will be in Luke 1 this morning. I would encourage you to turn there with me. Uh, before we do that, I do want to stop and say I am so glad the Christmas season is here. Um, I don't know if your family is anything like my family, either the family you grew up in or the family you live in now, but... Uh, one of the things we love about the Christmas season is the ability to dig way back in the closet, dust off the old Christmas movies that we watch every year, and take some time to watch the Christmas movies that bring us so much joy during the holiday season. And, and whether you like Elf or uh, the, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or uh, National Lampoon or for some reason some people think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, whatever... Um, no judgment, I just don't get it. Uh, it's that opportunity, and it brings us into the Christmas season. And if you haven't heard, we're doing a Christmas poll just for fun, uh, trying to, to f- get a feel for what Christmas movies uh, you guys like. So I would encourage you to take out your phone. You can do it right now. Text the word Christmas to 763-473-9463. It's our church's number. It's in the weekly uh, text the word Christmas, take our Christmas poll, tell us your favorite Christmas movie, and tell us emotionally, answer, pick one of the options, how you're doing coming into this Christmas season. While you're doing that, as a lead-in to our message this morning, I'm going to show a clip from one of my favorite Christmas movies, A Christmas Story. So take the poll, and uh, we'll watch the clip. What do you want for Christmas, little boy? My mind had gone blank. Frantically, I tried to remember what it was I wanted. I was blowing it, blowing it. Come on, kid. How about a nice uh, football? 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 What's a football? With unconscious will, my voice squeaked out. Football? Okay, get him out of here. A football? Oh, no! What was I doing? Wake up, stupid! Wake up! You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. I love that movie. Um, and, And for those that maybe haven't seen that movie, Ralphie spends the entire movie obsessed with getting an official Red Rider carbine action, 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock. Very specific thing he wants. He spends the entire movie obsessed with getting that gift, so obsessed, in fact, that at times he will completely miss what is going on around him. In another scene in that movie, he's standing at his teacher's desk, having just turned in a writing prompt or theme about what he wants for Christmas, and he thinks it is so eloquently worded. How could anybody argue with this? And he's lost in a trance, not realizing that the entire class has moved on as he stands at the teacher's desk, imagining getting the perfect score and therefore receiving the gift he wants for Christmas. And, and, and many of us find ourselves in the same boat every Christmas season. The nostalgia of the season, the movies, the games, the activities, the, the, the festivities, so entrance us and we need them and we're obsessed with getting them. And I think for some of us, we're really feeling it this year. The thing we really want for Christmas, the thing we are really obsessing over uh, is, is getting in the way 
of Christmas and getting in the way of what we really want and what we really desire is blocking. And we'll see that as we look at the Christmas story as well. We'll see Herod completely miss the birth of the Messiah because he is so focused on maintaining his power. We'll see the innkeepers, uh, the innkeeper miss the opportunity to host the birth of the Messiah because he's too focused on keeping his current guests happy. Uh, We will see the shepherds experience the birth of the Messiah and go out into the community proclaiming the amazing thing God has done, and people, the Bible says, will wonder at it and move on with their day. And nobody else, maybe Mary was okay with that, but nobody else will go and and see the birth of this of this baby. And this morning we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist, the the preceding story to the birth of the Messiah in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist through the eyes of his parents because his parents have this this dual opportunity where Zechariah at the beginning will miss almost the opportunity to experience God's blessing at the first Christmas and Elizabeth will see it right away for what it is and I think in there we can learn a lesson and why do we miss what's happening around us well like Ralphie we are striving for something this season maybe some of you are sitting in a quiet house wishing your house was loud this time of year. Maybe you're sitting in a loud house wishing it was quiet. Maybe you're looking for that event that used to bring meaning and significant to your season and wondering why it's not happening. Maybe we want that perfect Christmas or a unified family or some meaning and significance. And these aren't bad things, but these are things that can get in the way and rob us from experiencing what God is doing and what God has in store for us this season. So as we start our Christmas story, we're going to go back to the very beginning of the story to where Zechariah is serving before the Lord in the temple and an angel of the Lord shows up and tells him, your wife is going to have a child. And he says something no husband ever should say ever. How can this be? My wife is well along in years. Which he thinks is a polite way of saying she's old. It's just not. Um, my wife is well along in years, and the angel, for his disbelief, renders him mute, and, and he can't speak. And we'll jump ahead in the story, and Elizabeth will find herself with child in verses 23 through 25, and in verse 25, she says this, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. See, Elizabeth, like many women in the Bible, had longed for a child and had been barren. She'd been unable to have a child. She had wanted that feeling of being a mother, of having a child in her arms for years and had not had it. And finally, the Lord has brought that child into her life. And, and shortly after, uh, the scripture says she goes for five months in seclusion. We don't know why, but it says she was in seclusion for five months after she found out she was pregnant. And shortly, if you do the math, shortly after that five months, Mary shows up. Mary, her niece, her young niece, who isn't even married yet, her niece Mary shows up with another supernatural pregnancy, in fact, potentially more supernatural than Elizabeth's. And that's the part of the story we know. But we see in Elizabeth, when Mary shows up at her house, she's finally gone through her five months of seclusion. She's finally pregnant after years and years of wanting a child. And now her niece shows up and potentially steals the show. 
But Elizabeth says this in verses 42 through 45, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. There is absolutely no jealousy in Elizabeth. Well along in years, finally pregnant, time, I don't know, I don't know this for certain, but I do know enough women who have wanted to be pregnant and have been unable to that, that after time, when you finally think you're pregnant, you don't exactly go and publish it on the rooftop until you know for sure. And there's that potential that maybe that five months was her sitting back going, God said this would happen, I'm going to wait I'm going to wait until I know because I've been down this road before. And she finally goes public with it and somebody else shows up and steals the show. But Elizabeth is not jealous at all. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? Not that I have a child. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come? Why is she not jealous? Because she is supremely confident in her God. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And we don't pick it up very well in some English translations especially, but in the Greek, that isn't a, gee, Mary, I'm so happy for you that you believe your son is the Messiah. Gee, Mary, I really hope that what you want comes true. This is supreme confidence that what God has said will happen. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So let me ask it again. What are you looking forward to this Christmas? What are you excited for this Christmas? And is what you are striving for potentially overshadowing what God is doing? Because the lesson from Zechariah and the lesson from Ralphie is this. Don't let your own desires block you from what God is doing. Instead, find your joy in the story of Christ, the story we see in Scripture. Focus on the Messiah, not the nostalgia, not the traditions. Focus on the Messiah, the story of God at work in your life and around you. And as our story continues, Mary stays with Elizabeth for a while. She will leave shortly before John the Baptist is born. And John the Baptist will be born, and Zechariah will prophesy and sing a song. Um, And that song is called Uh, The Benedictus, which is Latin for blessed, which is how the song starts. Blessed, Benedictus. Mary's song earlier is called the Magnificat, which is again from the Latin for the first words that Mary said, because Latin sounds beautiful, but apparently is not creative. They just take the first word. But the Benedictus, blessed. And we're going to take a look at his song, his prophecy, because I think in there, there are three reminders we can take that will help us keep our focus where it belongs this Christmas season. The first reminder is this, be thankful. Be thankful. I love that in the United States, Thanksgiving immediately precedes Christmas. And in fact, in some ways, Thanksgiving gets squeezed out between a growing popularity of Halloween and a growing Christmas season. And I kind of want to get a t-shirt that says, respect the bird. <laughs> that we need to remember Thanksgiving, but we need to go into, thanks, into Christmas thankful and Thanksgiving sits right on the doorstep. 
Be thankful. Today, one of the things I'm thankful for is Wyzetta Free Church. I've been at Wyzetta Free Church on staff for over 10 years. Five years before that, I was serving at another church. But before that, I met my wife directly beneath my feet in the youth room downstairs in this building as volunteers. This church has played a huge role in my life and in my family's life, and that gives me cause to be thankful. It also gives me cause to look back and see what God has done, not only in my life, but in our church. And so as we read in Luke 1, starting in verse 67, we'll read this as as Zechariah begins his song. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise or blessed in Latin, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. A great way to be thankful is modeled here by Zechariah. Zechariah starts his song by remembering what God has done, not only in his own personal life, but what God has done throughout history through the people of Israel and through their community. Zechariah thanks God for his redemption in the past and uses that as a reason to be thankful for what God will do in the future. We as a church have an opportunity to look back and see what God has done and be thankful for how God has been at work in our lives and in our community and in our church. And we can look forward as we move from here to there and say, I know that our God will do things in our church and in our community. And the horn of salvation that Zechariah references is a sign of power and might. We serve a powerful and mighty God. The horn of salvation And the Davidic line connecting the prophesied Messiah of the future to the King David of the past. Later on in Luke, Jesus will open up the book of Isaiah and proclaim that this redemption that Zechariah speaks of is his task as the Messiah here on earth. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he will say. But that redemption will have a price, a very high price. The death of the Messiah. A baby who is born to die. And Luke will later on write in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So what do we have to be thankful for? Well, it's easy in this COVID season to focus on what isn't happening. It's easy in the holidays to focus on how they're not coming to be. It's easy in the in the on the doorstep of a Minnesota winter to think about all that we won't get. And in fact, I have a friend who's a therapist at a local Minneapolis hospital, and he works in, uh, with teenagers who are suicidal in the hospital, suicidal or attempted suicide. And he said he can mark his calendar by the anxiety and tension that the holidays bring. But that's not how it's supposed to be. This should be a time when we are thankful, when we are filled with joy. And if our focus is in the right place, that joy should be there. And recently, Kevin Meyer and Andrea Habeisen, uh, two other pastors here on staff, wrote an article that was featured by the Free Church blog, and we shared it on our Facebook page. And they said, 
And they said this around joy. Well, joy can be tough to connect with in times of difficulty. I find its emotional cousin thankfulness or gratitude much easier to reach. While it still requires work, gratitude is so much more accessible than choosing joy. When I choose gratitude, joy eventually shows up. As I spend time in thanksgiving, joy seems to make an appearance. So take time to be grateful. We have a lot to be thankful for. And watch God fill your joy tank and refocus you this season. Reminder one, be thankful. Reminder number two, remember your role in God's work. Sometimes we forget our role. Now, when I was in high school, I was a competitive swimmer, and I was a distance swimmer, which meant I swam long distances at a lower speed. I, was, I had endurance. I didn't have sprint. But my senior year, I happened to be the fourth fastest sprinter on the team, and we needed a fourth. Now, three swim the sprinting races. They needed a fourth for the relay. I backed my way on to a competitive relay, and we, by the skin of our teeth, made it to the state swim meet. And at the state swim meet, I realized I was out of my league. I was watching all these other relay teams go and go, and I was watching their split times pop up on the screen. And I realized that while all season we had been swimming against other teams comparable to us, and I could hold my own, in other words, they had three fast guys and a fourth, (laughs) at the state swim meet that wasn't the pattern, and I realized my role had just changed. My role was no longer to try and gain places or win the race. My role was to not lose. I needed to simply hang with the guy next to me and let the other three on the team do what they were good at, which was passing everybody. And we need to learn our role. And as Christians, it's easy for us to read Zechariah's song here in Luke 1 and not realize that it's not until verse 76 that Zechariah even talks about his son. He's singing a song about the birth of his son, and he has to wait several verses before he even mentions him. Imagine getting a birthday card and opening it up and reading all about how great your cousin is, and by the way, happy birthday. That's kind of what's going on here, but we get to verse 76, and he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And this statement, you will be called a prophet, is again a focus on who he is, not on who Zechariah wants him to be, because Zechariah has learned the lesson to be supremely confident in his God. What his God has said will happen. But he also knows his role. He goes, you, my son, are not the Messiah. You, my son, are a prophet of the Most High God. He is confident. He knows who God has created his son to be. And so I ask you, what about you? Are you confident in who God has called you to be? God has called you his child. God has called you his creation. God has called you to love and serve and worship those around you. Own that, do that, but don't try and tread into God's world. Don't try and be God. Don't try and force into your Christmas season what you want instead of what he wants. And I don't know this for certain. I have no way of knowing this except that I look forward in Scripture and I see John the Baptist later in his life and I have have 
every uh, reason to believe that this is not the only time that Zechariah and Elizabeth will say this about their son. In fact, I think they will say it to their son. Because by the time we get to John chapter 3, we'll see Jesus' ministry starting and Jesus starting to recruit followers around him. And some of those followers are going to be people that were following John the Baptist. And now they're following this Jesus guy. And John the Baptist's disciples come to John all bent out of shape that they're losing disciples to this Jesus character. And we read in John 3, 27 through 30, John's answer. He says to them, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And catch this at the end. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knows his role. I point people to Jesus, and then I get out of the way. He must increase. I must decrease. And we all have a role to play in the world that God has placed us in, in the community God has placed us in. For those of you that have known me the last several years, seeing me on a December morning wearing a tie is not surprising. For those of you that have known me a long time, wearing a tie is not, you know, my preferred thing. But on a December morning, I always wear a tie. Why? Because for the last several years, my wife and I, and this year my daughter, have participated in an or- with an organization called Dressember, raising awareness and raising money to end human trafficking. And I don't participate, I do everything in my power to not participate in human trafficking, but I can still play a role in this. I can still play a role in bringing about justice and mercy and grace to this world. We all have a role to play. So I want to ask you, if you want to keep your focus on Christ this Christmas season, what in your Christmas plans needs to decrease so that Christ can increase? COVID has brought us an opportunity to set aside things that we've always done because we should to focus on the things we need to do. What in your Christmas holiday season needs to decrease so the presence of Christ can increase? John knew his role. He celebrated he was on the same team as Christ, but he didn't try and take Christ's job. Reminder number three, point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Uh, Just over a year ago, uh, Pastor Kevin and I flew to Canada together to, um, to go to a conference. And we landed in Ottawa, Canada, and we landed at night on a cloudy day. And anybody who's landed in, a, in an unknown airport at night in the dark knows how easy it is to get turned around. And so we land and we take the tram and we go through the tunnels and around the things and around. And by the time I get to the rental counter, I am completely twisted around. And we walk up to the rental counter to find out the good news. The good news is that as two uh, guys in Canada for three days, we get to drive a minivan. They didn't have a car for us, and everybody who drives a minivan at home knows that when you rent a car, you're so excited to find out you get to drive a minivan again. But we get in our minivan, and I turn on my cell phone, and I realize I don't have cell phone service in Canada, 
And Kevin does, but it's okay. We have turn-by-turn directions. I say, Kevin, I'm going to start driving. You get your phone up and running, and then you take over. And we start driving, and it's, you know, 18 circles in the parking garage before you get out, and then you turn on the road, and you go the way to the thing. And we're driving, and all of a sudden, his phone kicks on, and he starts directing me to the hotel. And I knew the hotel was south of town. I am almost positive he was directing me dead east. And I'm going, this doesn't feel right. This isn't the right direction. We're supposed to be going south. It feels like we're going east. And lo and behold, they moved the hotel and we found it in the east. And we get to the hotel and we get inside and I'm all turned around and I turn on my phone and the GPS spins around and my brain spins around with it. And all of a sudden, we're at the right hotel and they moved it back to the south. (laughs) Because we all need that, that thing pointing us when we're in an unfamiliar area going, this is the way that's north. And without that, I got turned around and I got lost. And John knew his role was to point people to Jesus and his dad sees it, starting in chapter one, verses 77 through 79. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Our job is to point people to Jesus. Many people in the Gospels will encounter Jesus and wrongly assume that he is about a political takeover and he's not. And Zechariah sees that from day one. Jesus is not about a political takeover. Jesus is about saving people from their sins and bringing about the forgiveness of sins. And it's John's job to point people to Jesus. It's about him. For us, the best thing we can do as Christians is point people to Jesus. Right now, our world is disenfranchised with Christianity. The version they see in the movies, the version they see on TV, and sadly, the version they see in many of their coworkers, neighbors, and friends is different than the Christianity they've read about in the Bible. As Christians, we are called to be a light to the world, and the world right now oftentimes doesn't see a difference between how they live and how we do. Poll after poll shows that the world sees Christianity as hypocritical disingenuous and antiquated. And the only positive thing is that the same tends to not be true about Jesus. When Gandhi was questioned by the missionary E. Stanley Jones about why he rejected becoming a follower of Christ, he said, oh, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, As found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. Gandhi saw that Christianity and what Christ taught were separate things. Now, I don't think that Gandhi converted. I don't think that Gandhi followed Jesus, but that's not really the point. The point is what he said hits on the head what I hear from so many other unbelievers. They share the same thoughts. The Christians they see are so unlike Christ. Unfortunately, we cannot change the world's perception of Christians, but fortunately, we can point them to Jesus. And that needs to be what we do. And I, I, I want to end with this, because Paul gives us some great words on how we do that in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23, he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all possible means I might save some. 
I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And I want to highlight briefly what he says there. All things to all people, those under the law, those not under the law. So that by all possible means, and if you read through Paul's letters, you'll see him use persuasion and reason and personal testimony and all sorts of different ways. That all possible means, I might save some. We are called to do whatever it takes to serve the West Metro. And we are called to do that knowing that many people might not come, but some. And what are we willing to set aside for those some? And what does your Christmas season look like this year in pointing people to Jesus? Is there something getting in the way of you pointing people to Jesus? Is your sharing of the gospel this season limited to saying the words Merry Christmas? Have your desires blocked your ability to share Christ? Is your passion around Christmas preventing you from seeing others in pain? Is your preparation preventing you from engaging in gratitude? If you are missing out on what God is doing around you this Christmas season, take time to be thankful. Take time to be thankful. Point people to Jesus and remember your role. And as we end... We're going to echo, and I want the, the song that we're about to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us, to be our prayer as we end.